Church, this morning, uh, I'm going to preach a little bit different message than I'm kind of used to. And uh, then Pastor, Pastor Russ says this, has been saying this a lot lately. We, we've been doing a little bit of different twists and turns as a ministry. That's okay. It's great. Um, this morning, we're going to preach. I'm going to be preaching a message called The Gospel of Wonder. And here's what I want you to think about. This big idea here. Wonder is one of life's most beautiful paradoxes. I want you guys to think about maybe if you've been out west and seen the Grand Canyon or the, uh, the Golden Coast Highway, right, the, right, the Pacific Ocean. Maybe you've been here on the East Coast, which is honestly probably better than the West Coast in my personal opinion. I've lived on both sides. And maybe you've been up to Maine and uh, you've seen just the, the, just the ruggedness of the East Coast line, right? Uh, maybe you've been a crazy person and you've hiked the uh, Appalachian Mountains, maybe part of it. Um, good for you. I hate cardio. I probably never do that in my life. Although somehow my wife uh, is, got convinced by one of our friends in this room to do a hike at Katahdin. So uh, pray for me because I'm not going to enjoy that. It's going to be a good challenge for my soul. But think about that word, the wonder, right? All these amazing things that we've seen on this earth. Wonder is one of life's most beautiful paradoxes, right? Um, exploration of, uh, sorry, let me reverse. Wonder is experiencing, we're defining wonder. Wonder is experiencing or exploring part of something that can never be fully experienced, known, or understood. I want you to think of these two facts here. 65% of the ocean is not explored. Um, I read that, I read that in a stat recently. 65% of the ocean unexplored. Less than 5% of space has been explored. And we're just, we're, when, when we say explore, we're just talking about visually seeing it. David, I'm, my brain's going a little crazy. I'm just going to use the handheld. Sorry. You're awesome, David. Thank you for being up there. Um, 65% of the ocean not explored. 5% of the universe, sorry, of space that's it. That's the, that's the most that we've explored, at most, 5%. It's actually less than that. And that's just talking again, exploring, just being, even just seeing a speck of it. That, that should make us wonder, right? Again, wonder is experiencing or exploring part of something that can never be fully experienced, known, or understood. We can certainly apply this to the Christian life, right? In fact, part of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that God, the greatest being, the world's greatest being, invites us, people, the world's most broken beings, into a relationship with him. That's pretty crazy. And not only that, here is the true wonder of the gospel, Going diving even a little deeper into this definition of the wonder in the gospel, ready? God calls us to explore himself, knowing, catch that, knowing that we as finite human beings will not and cannot ever truly discover the fullness of God. He is at once both highly relational and completely unfathomable. Now, I'm going to use that word unfathomable a lot in my message. So for those who in this room who that might be an unfamiliar term, unfathomable just means like it's like a never-ending well. The, it's, it's kind of like Narnia, right? The deeper you go, the farther you go, and the bigger you realize the picture is, right? That's what God is. God is unfathomable. Um, there's a song that's apparently based, I just read it uh, earlier this morning. It's actually based off of a, an old Hebrew text, an old, an old Hebrew text around 1000 AD. Um, could we with ink, if we with ink the ocean filled and the skies, based, I'm going to paraphrase, if we turn the, ink, the ocean into ink and we turn the skies into paper or parchment, we'd run out of ink, and we run out of ocean and we run out of sky before we could finish talking about the greatness of God. That's wonder there. God is at once both unfathomable and highly relational. In fact, Isaiah writes, speaking on behalf, writing on behalf of God, God speaking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, 
saith the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and, your, and my thoughts than your thoughts. An unfathomable God. Job writes, I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. And we're going to look at this warning about why we can commit our cause, our life, our purpose, our concerns, our cares, our worries. Why can we commit our care, our cause to God? Job writes here, why? Which doeth great things and unsearchable, unfathomable, unsearchable. Marvelous things without number. We serve, church, this morning, a great God. Here's a challenge this morning, and I invite you to think about this as the messages preached from God's word this morning. If we can embrace how different God is from us, we are then able to give more value to how he relates with us, and in turn, how we are called to relate to the other people in our lives. Today, we're going to cover six characteristics of God. Now, um, if you are someone who's had any sort of experience in like a Bible college or a seminary, um, don't be worried. I had someone look over this, and they were like, Ethan, you're going to cover six of God's non-communicable attributes in a Sunday morning service? I'm like, yes, two hours. No, just kidding. Uh, my voice is not going to last probably longer than 40 minutes, so we're going to see if we make this quick. But um, we're going to cover six characteristics of what theologians have termed the non-communicable attributes of God. These are, these are character traits that will only ever be descriptive of God. No other being can claim these attributes, these characteristics. When I, when I give them to you, when we define them, you're going to think about it for a half second if you've never heard them before, and then go, oh, that makes sense why it's called a non-communicable attribute. There's no human being ever in the world that that could be given to. All right. As we go through these six attributes this morning, my goal, Lord willing, is to prove how great our unfathomable God demonstrates his desire for a relationship with us, that he's worthy of our love and devotion. So, on the screen, see if you can look there. Number one, our first point, God is immutable, unchanging. Here's a doctrine behind this. Here's a smaller doctrine that builds this bigger doctrine of God is being immutable. God does not change who he is. God does not change who he is. If you were to look in Malachi 3, verse 6, you would read the following verses. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, that's a short verse. I hate taking verses out of context. So let me give you the full context. In that, the context of that passage is this. Israel is just being plain old, stupid, and foolish. And so God says, hey, look, you guys are like a, and I know there's people that this might defend, this will offend in the room. You guys are like a middle school, high school girl, Okay. You're, you are constantly changing the way you feel about yourself, about the, the, about the way you feel about people around you, about me. It's always changing. And he says, I am the Lord. I change not. And so luckily for you, I'm not going to burn you up with fire. This is the only reason why you're not dead today is because I have not changed. I still love you. That's what God is telling them. God does not change who he is. A second supporting doctrine for, again, that bigger idea that God does not change. God will always be the same. So not only does God not, always, not, not change, God will always be the same. In Hebrews that, chapter 13, verse 8, we read, Jesus Christ the same. If you know it, say it with me. Yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, we're going to reference one of the names of God, one of the Old Testament names of God later in the message. But I'll give it to you now. God calls, refers to himself when he's being, he had, he's asked by an Old Testament person, hey, who should I tell people that you are? And God says, I am that I am. Another way to translate that word, that, that phrase there is 
I will be, I will continue to be who I will continue to be. God is always the same. Now, it'd be pointless for me, and some of you guys have been in churches where you hear a lot of truth, you get a lot of doctrine. But guys, church, doctrine is great, but it's useless if it does nothing for our relationship with God and nothing for the people around you. It should be, the doctrine we learn should be impacting the people around you. God's truth should be changing our lives, not just entering our heads and our hearts. So here we go. Here is your everyday truth. Jesus is able to meet us where we are at with his truth and love. How does that work with change? Well, Jesus, when he came to earth, expected, this, expected to offer salvation, the free gift, to a bunch of people who probably didn't deserve it. Actually, scratch that, who didn't deserve it. He knew that. He knew he was going to offer it to a bunch of people who were just broken. Um, one of my favorite books in the Bible, I was actually asked recently, what's your favorite book in the Bible? And I said, I like the book of Hosea. Um, no need to go into too much detail. We do have a room of varying ages in here. But for overview, okay, the book of Hosea, he's asked by God, Hosea as a prophet, and he's asked by God to marry a spouse who either was known to be unfaithful or upon marrying would become unfaithful. Either of those two truths, if not both of them, were true in that instance. And Hosea, God allowing Hosea to be the picture of who Jesus was going to be for us, right, in the New Testament, he said, Hosea, you're going to do this. They're going to break your heart. They're breaking your heart now, and they're going to continue to break your heart. But I still love you. Jesus is able to meet us where we are at with his truth and his love. Why? Because he doesn't change. He's still going to be there when you have an awesome Sunday, and he's going to be there when Mondays are Mondays, okay? God is going to be the same, and that's comforting thought. Number one, God is immutable. Number two, the second non-communicable attribute of God is this. God is self-existing. Now, in a little bit, we're going to talk about three more attributes of God in this, you know, like non-communicable attribute list, right? I'm just going to brush over them. Um, they, they're ones that, if, you're in, if you've been in church for a little while, you've probably heard of them, so I'm just going to brush over them really quick and maybe give a quick definition. But God is self-existent. That means that God, as you can see on the screen here, God is self-sustaining. Here's the doctrine behind this truth. God is dependent. God depends on no one and nothing else for his existence and well-being. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, here's that, the name of God that we were talking about earlier. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. Moses is asking God, hey God, what am I supposed to tell the people of Israel? Like, who, like, you want me to speak to them, but like, they don't really like know you. Who, what am I supposed to tell them? Who am I supposed to say I'm speaking on behalf of? So God tells him, I am that I am. And thou shalt say, and he said, thou, thus shalt thou say, unto the children of Israel. If you're following, it's in Exodus chapter 3, 14. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Again, that phrase, I am, it's Hebrew. Hayer, haya, asher, haya. And it means, I will continue to be who I will continue to be. I am who I will always be. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, David writes, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Church, 
God existed before this earth existed. Now, let's, let's, let's play along with this idea here. Ready? Okay, so if God exists before earth exists, that means God didn't need sunlight, right? Unless you're like someone who's a, uh, a vampire, right? Or maybe you have um, a medical condition. Sorry, I don't want to insult people because I know there are people who have medical conditions. But you don't want, you, you, we need sunlight, right? Unless you have a medical condition or, again, if you're a vampire. All right. Uh, but we need sunlight, right? Um, we need food, right? Amen? Can I get an amen? We need food. I was in Arizona two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Oh, my mind. I think it's because I'm a little sick here. Uh, two weeks ago. And uh, I, one of the first things that we did, uh, my parents uh, need, or, you know, I wanted to kind of de-stress them. So I said, hey, let's meal plan. Me and my brothers and sisters, and they sent me out. And, yes, we got to get prime rib for everybody because that's how my parents roll. It was awesome. I got to cook that up. I love food. Um, now, I do need food to live, and sometimes I know it's hard to tell, but I know I'm, and I know I'm skinny, but I do eat more than sometimes I should. Uh, but, um, hey, we need food. And guess what? Before this earth existed, all right, there was no food. And before this earth existed and before people, beings ever existed that need food, guess what? God was. God needs none of that. Also, God's, the, the, the apex predator, if you want to put it that way, the, the pinnacle of cre- his creation was man. He finished by creating mankind. He specifically said, hey, we're going to make, let us make, God said to himself, let us make man in our image, in the image of God. And so in the image of God created he, them, mankind. And guess what? Before mankind ever existed, God was. In Colossians, Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Pay attention to these verses because we're going to reference them in our next, in our last point, okay? But in Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes, For by him, by God, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. All things were created by him. And verse 17, and he is before all things. Okay, so if you are someone who maybe is into apologetics or you're into science, here's a term that we give to God. God is the progenitor, meaning that God is the pre-existing condition before all other cause. He is the uncaused cause. God is the pre-existing condition before there ever anything else ever existed. By him, and he is before all things. Not just talking about how God is positionally God is before, he comes before anything else, but literally saying before all other things, God was and is and will be, okay? And by him, all things consist. Uh, think about this, and, sorry, and by him, all things consist. Think about this, the logic of this. If God needed something, then all the things in the world, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't make sense for them to depend on him because he'd need them. No, instead of saying, and by him, most things consist, or and by him, something consists. No, by him, all things consist. God is the one who makes, allows everything to happen in this world. Um, let's look at the doctrine. I have a little list here, and David's going to show you there. Hopefully, your, your brains don't spin. All right, these are the three big words that we're talking about that are the other non-communicable attributes of God. These character traits that you and I and no one else in the world can ever have only God alone can have these. Ready? Number one, God is omnipresent. And that just means that God has the ability to be anywhere in as many places as he wants to be whenever he wants to be there. What does that mean? What does this doctrine mean? Well, 
boots to the ground, that doctrine means that God doesn't need helpers because he can be wherever he wants to be in as many places as he wants to be there, right? God doesn't need our help. You know, where do we get off as Christians? And, and again, I, I, do not, I, I, I praise you guys in this church who serve. I, I, I'm very thankful for our volunteer teams, but guess what? It's hard for me to say this as someone who loves serving and being around our people, but hey, like God doesn't need me, but he's happy to use me, amen? God doesn't need me, but he's happy to use me. Look, God doesn't need helpers, okay? He has himself for that, right? Think about this. God has all these angels. We call the angels are messengers of light, messengers of hope. Guess what? He created the angels. He doesn't need, he didn't really need their help. He just said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, right now, I'm God, I'm going to do this. That, that's just why he did it, because God does what God wants to do. God is omnipresent. He does not need your help. Number two, God is omniscient. That just means that God has the ability to know anything. Now, to caveat there, okay? There is one thing that we can say for certain that God does not know. And it's actually something that God chooses to forget. And we know what it is? Three-letter word, sin. Specifically of a believer. If you're a believer, God says that he takes our sin, he throws away, he casts it as far as the east is from the west. And if you were to go on a globe today, you'd be like, that doesn't make sense. And you start at one point, and you take two fingers, and you go east and west. At no point will your fingers start going West, if you start in the eastern direction, they're never going to start going west. They're always going to go east. If you start going in a western direction on a globe, guess what? It's never going to start going east. It's always going to keep going west. Guys, God chooses to forget our sin, but outside of that, God knows whatever he wants to know. God can know everything. He does not need teachers. All right, guys, whether, it's, whether you're a student in school or whether you're uh, midlife, a little older, guess what? A lot of us are still learning things, right? I know, I know plenty of people who are ch- switching careers. Um, some of the guys in um, our men's group, they're, they're, they're not necessarily switching uh, careers or applying new knowledge, but they're, re, they're, re, they're rediscovering some, some knowledge they had prior to uh, their previous career, all right? So we, even no matter how old you are, you're still learning things, right? And in fact, going back to what we are talking about earlier, the idea of wonder, people are still discovering space. Less than 5% is known. Everything else, unknown. 65% of the oceans, undiscovered. We're still learning things, yet God needs no teachers because he is omniscient. Last but not least on this list here, number three, God is omnipotent. Now, I'm going to say something, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to explain myself a little bit. God is omnipotent, so that means that God is able to do whatever God wants to do. Now, if you are if you've been a Christian for any point of time and you've, been, you've come across someone, you have a conversation about your faith with somebody, you've probably at some point heard, oh yeah, well, would God ever create a rock that he couldn't lift? And then I would say, that's a stupid question. <laughs> that's a stupid question. Because here's why. Does God do what he wants to do? Is God able to do what he wants to do? Yes. But God only uses his power to do good things. Now, if you're an enemy of God, God doing good, good things is going to hurt you. If you are running away from God or are in rebellion against God, guess what? God doing good things means he has to punish you, right? Right? So even, even with that, though, God is able to do whatever he wants to do. He has all this power, and guess what? Because he has all this power, he does not need soldiers. God can take care of himself. Um, there's a, uh, I think I was talking with Sway. Uh, me and Sway uh, have conversations once in a while. And I, I, I appreciate this way because he's very willing to let me speak my piece because sometimes I talk too much. 
But, um, <laughs> but we talked about apologetics recently. And one of the things that, I don't know if we mentioned it or if it just came across my mind after a conversation, was that, you know, apologetics is, Christian apologetics is basically us knowing truth about God in defense of our faith. So that we can, if someone were to come across us and say, hey, that's not true, or God, God's this, God's that, we could counter with no. Actually, what you're thinking, that's a logical fallacy. Here's the correct way to ask that question. Here's the correct way to view God. Here's who God actually is. That's what apologetics is. But you know what the beauty of that is about apologetics? You don't have to be a super scholarly person, a knowledgeable person for God to be defended. In fact, God speaks on behalf of God. That's the great thing about the Bible. You don't have to know all these tricks and trades. It's great to know them, right? It's great to know all these tactics for how to, how to deal with people, deal with issues that come up with people who doubt who God is. But at the end of the day, look, if all you did was take God and, and, and describe who he is and what he does from his word, I mean, that, that, that would be enough. God defends himself. God speaks for himself. He does not need soldiers. Church, God is self-existent. Look at these three things that he doesn't need. He doesn't need helpers. He doesn't need teachers. He doesn't need soldiers. By the way, just as a caveat, uh, as, a, as an aside, how many of us find ourselves in a boat where we feel like we burn ourselves out because we think, oh, I have, I have to do this for God or, or else I'm going to feel this, this, this incredible weight of shame. Where, man, and, and, you know, and I feel that. So as a young Paul talks about this. As a, as a young man, um, I can tend to be very zealous, meaning like I say yes to too many things. And uh, I've only recently in the past six to 12 months started saying no, and it's been healthy <laughs> for me and my family. But I want to say yes to a lot of things, right? And, and some of that is inside my heart. I'm like, man, if I don't say yes, like, am I really serving God to the fullest extent? And so for me, the way that this truth speaks to me is more of, Ethan, God doesn't need your help. God doesn't need you to teach everybody. God doesn't need you to per se, okay, be that fighter for him. I mean, obviously you want to be, you know, d- dedicated, devoted believers. But Ethan, you don't have to run yourself ragged trying to do all these things for me. Um, I'm self-existent. So Ethan, you take care of your marriage. You be the dad to your, to your kids. And uh, you serve me in a way that is balanced, in a way that doesn't kill you and burn, your, and burn you out. All right, that's an aside. So number one, we talked about God is unchanging. Number two, we talked about how God is self-existent. He's omnipresent. He doesn't need our help. He's omniscient. He doesn't need teachers. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He doesn't need soldiers. Last but not least, God is eternal. Here's the doctrine behind this truth. God has always existed and has never not existed. He's never not existed. That's, that's so weird. I remember like being in, in middle school, um, or actually, I might have been, been elementary, when I, like, I remember sitting in bed as, a, as really, really young. So before, actually, probably yeah, elementary, and just remember hearing a message. And I don't remember the message, but I just remember having this moment where I felt very overwhelmed. Whoa. Before everything was, God was. And like nothing, how does that work? God has always existed and has never not existed. Church, if there has never been a point in your life where you reflect on that thought and go, my head hurts, <laughs> then think about it again today when you go home. Here's a doctrine number two. God, uh, doctrine number two supporting this idea that God's eternal. God exists out of time. Um, I explained this to our, our middle schoolers, which by the way, junior high, 
I know you guys heard this. I'm just kind of giving you guys a little, I'm doing a little bit more in depth. So I'm glad you're here because this is uh, the deep, deep nitty gritty stuff of what we were talking about. But God exists outside of time. Think about that. How do we define time today? We define it by days, months, years, weeks, right? Okay, how do we define that? Well, by the sun rising and falling and rotation around the sun. Well, guess what? Before all those things that we use to mark time were existing, there was nothing. God exists outside of time. God created time itself. God created the, the demarcation of the planets and how the, exact, the axis that they spin on, the sun they revolve around. God is, exists outside of time. We're going to bring this to the ground so, it makes, so, it, so it's personal to you and me, okay? But truth number three that supports that God is eternal. Here we go. God lives with the future in mind. We actually sang that earlier. You guys remember how great is our God? Age to age, he stands. Time is in his what? Hands. Beginning and the end. That, that phrase, beginning and the end, comes from actually a name of God. God calls himself, God calls himself I am the Alpha the omega, the beginning and the end. God knows the beginning and the end. God lives, God exists with the future in mind because he exists outside of time. Isn't that amazing? And, and, and here's, here's where, again, boots to the ground. Here's, here's why that should connect with us. We worry so much. I mean, as adults, that, like, we could literally make every one of us in this room who are um, past school age, all right, and I would even a group in college age, college age people, people who are in college, you can, you can, be, you can group yourself into the quote-unquote regular working class adults. Think about this. We, we could replace our middle name with worry, with stress, because there's always something coming up, and we're worrying about how is that going to pan out? How's that relationship? Man, that conversation I had, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. Man, this work situation, this, this task, this, this job, I, I don't know how it's going to pan out. And we get stressed, and we become so stressed that today... Um, whether it's fortunately or unfortunately, psychologists and therapists have become a byword. They've become a, a necessity because we stress ourselves out so much with all the cares of this world. And, you know, part of that's being an adult, being responsible, right? Like, you know, I, I mean, I only have, I have two, two little kids. It's not like they're like teenagers running around being crazy, wild and out. But, I mean, they're still two little kids. I have to make sure, you know, get back home in one piece every day. <laughs> Actually, I should say I do that. My wife does more of that. I'll be 100% honest. I know that you do that, Annie, so good job. Um, <laughs> but look, we, we stress ourselves out with the cares of this life, and then, and then we say, and then we come to church on Sunday and say, God, you're so good. And then we go back, actually, forget, we, don't, we, don't, we don't even wait for money to happen. We get back from church on Sunday. No, we get back in the car after church on Sunday, right? Come on now. We get back in the car and we think, oh, Monday's going to be awful. Tuesday, I'll be able to breathe. And then Wednesday is going to be the middle of the week. Thursday, that's the bear. And then Friday, I'm just going to be able to release all my strength. And oh, Saturday, I'm going to try to decompress. And then Sunday, well, let me get through. And, and we, we get in this little vicious cycle of like not giving our cares to God. Guys, God lives with our future in mind. We have to remember that. And sometimes we get so far off. Guys, a lot of, uh, many of you, I shouldn't say a lot, Many of us have been in church for years. We've heard this, this, this phrase, right, that, that God is eternal, but we never make it personal. Where is how it's personal? God lives with our futures in mind. Does that, take, does that remove all that stress? No. But it, builds our, it can build us a confidence within you and I, saying, hey, this is going to, this is going to have to happen. This week is going to have to happen. This job, this conversation, these relationships, they're all going to have to happen. But 
God, you know what's coming, and you know how to best prepare me. So I'm just going to trust that you can do that and say that and believe that. In fact, we're going to practice something right now. I'm going to have you guys say on count of three, God, you've got this. Actually, rephrase that. God, you've got me. We're going to say that on count of three. God, you've got me. One, two, three. God, you've got me. If there's only one thing you catch from today, like, catch that. God, you've got me. Um, I'm thinking of a student uh, who volunteers at our, high, at our junior high gatherings on Wednesdays. And they were planning on being there that morning. Um, this past Wednesday, we had a big event. Um, good number of teens showed up. It was awesome. They had a friend come over to their house from youth group who was also wanting to volunteer. We call them peer partners. They have the ability to assist our youth leader team um, with different roles, different you know, uh, relationship-based stuff that they do. They came in in a rush. I'm like, okay, we're about to start our first game, our opening game. And uh, they're like, Pastor Ethan, I'm really sorry, um, but my aunt just died. And, and, like, and the tears started just flowing as soon as it words came out of her mouth. And I was like caught in this vine where I'm like, oh man, like I want to hurt with you, man. I, I want to cry with you. And I didn't, wasn't responsible enough to give my schedule to anybody else. So now I have to run this thing over here. So really quick, me and my wife prayed with the student and they walked out their way. Guys, if I had half a mind, um, I maybe... I said some things to students. I hope I hope it connected with that student. I hope it like reached their heart. But that student hopefully was able to walk away from the the few years that I've been the youth pastor and that their parents have ta- have been ministering to them. Hey, God's got you. This is a really hard time. Your aunt just passed away, but God's got you. Um, let's look at the application, the the everyday truth. Jesus wants to walk with us through life, knowing how to best help us. Church doctrine by itself is a, is a great thing. In fact, you will glorify God just by d- diving deeper into the word. I want you to know that. But if all you did was dive deep into the word and you're happy for just to, to have your knowledge of God be all educational, what a waste, man. What a waste. It doesn't, it doesn't, you're, you're not using that to say, wow, God, thank you for this. Oh, God, hey, thank you for that. Hey, pulling someone aside, hey, I just want you to know I learned something about God this weekend, and I don't know if it's going to connect with you, but I want you to know that my God is eternal. And the reason why that's important for you to know, why it's important for me to know, is that God's not stressed out by what happens in my life, in your life. Um, What a powerful truth. Jesus wants to walk with us through life, knowing how to best help us. In fact, if you were to sum up the gospel, practically speaking, this is it. This is the gospel right here, practically speaking, that God saved us, and now Jesus wants to walk with us through this life because he knows how to best help us. That's amazing. And yet sometimes, many times actually, not sometimes, many times we just forget that. And so say it with me on count of three. God's got me. One, two, three. God's got me. God, you got me. When we're stressed out or when we have a situation come up with family where we have to choose between bad, worse, and worse, and we're trying to discern what's the best option out of these three evils. Or maybe it's, hey, God, I have a promotion. On a letter, say, hey, God, I have a promotion that's coming up or I could keep this job. Like, what's, what's the right move here? 
what's, which one, what's going to positively impact my family? What's going negative, to negatively impact my family? Uh, how, how do I build these relationships here? Hey, guess what? For wisdom, go to God. That's one of uh, Pastor Russ's biggest things, biggest lessons that I've learned from him. Uh, I wish I learned it sooner. It took me a couple of years, unfortunately. He said, Ethan, every day, you need to pray for wisdom. I was running myself ragged these first two years at this ministry here, and Russ kept telling me, Pastor Russ kept saying, hey, Ethan, I encourage you every day, pray for wisdom. Uh, why? Because Jesus knows who we are. He knows this life, and he knows how to best help us. He wants to walk us through that. Church, this morning we talked about this big idea of wonder, how the gospel of Jesus Christ is a paradox of wonder. Um, the gospel's wonder is that the gospel of Jesus offers mankind a chance to experience and explore a God who can never be fully explained, experienced, known, or understood. That's okay. Um, for a lot of you guys in this room, you're the educational type of Christian where you like to, where you like to learn. Um, I want to encourage you with this seemingly discouraging thought. God is not going to be ever fully knowable, which is amazing. You can keep studying and like not learn enough about God. Um, for the people in this room who are maybe you're not educational, maybe you're the kind of person who's like, hey, my experience with God has been more like, like, the, like a physical thing. Like I, I, I feel like I talk to him and, and, and Pastor Ethan, like I, I, I feel like I know God. Guess what? The fact that you have a relationship with a God who can't be fully known is awesome because that means that your relationship is going to be that much sweeter. I wanted to talk about this like a little illustration that this is what marriage is, right? Marriage is not, you don't get married just because you know everything about the other person. And you get married, well, part of the, one, of the, one of the many reasons why you want to, want to get married is because, wow, I'm going to choose that person and spend a lifetime and, and getting to know them, exploring their likes and dislikes and, and the way that they are even going to change their metamorphosis, so, so to speak, right, as a person. Um, that's kind of what the gospel is. Like, we're never going to truly know God, but we get to be in this relationship where we're always learning something new, something different every single day. And maybe... Maybe we, don't, maybe we don't learn something new. Maybe we're just reminded, like this morning, of a basic truth that we know that God's eternal. But something new comes out of that familiar truth. God's eternal, and because God is eternal, he can walk with me through life. And I should absolutely 100% involve him. Um, church, we've, church, we've examined that God is able to be both unfathomable, and highly relational. Now, the easy part is knowing and understanding that idea, right? The hard part, the hardest part, is actually humbling ourselves and embracing that message. Accepting this message to be true is not enough. That's just an academic response to the Word of God. We have to, every moment, fully embrace just how different God is from us. If we want to better appreciate our relationship with God and our relationships with others, we have to surrender to this idea that God is not fully knowable and still high relationable, highly relationable. We have to allow his word and the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do in our lives so that we can be more like Jesus in the way that we live. Here's kind of a threefold challenge for us this morning. And uh, I'd like for you guys just to, we're not going to pray yet, but just think and, and, and begin examining 
allowing God to examine your heart. In fact, conversate with God right now in your heart as I'm reading um, these last three challenges. Here we go. Between you and God, are any of us willing to commit to actively embracing an unfathomable, unfathomable God? <laughs> Should have picked a different word. With a relational goal for humanity. Placing our full faith in God can sometimes be a scary task. I'll admit that. That's scary. Um, uh, I, I'm so in awe of my wife because her family is so close to each other, and she's a very strong woman. And she put a lot of faith in God. And obviously faith in me, we got married, but a lot of faith in God just coming across the country from Washington State all the way to Connecticut. It's a lot of faith. It was a scary task for her. It wasn't easy. Um, placing our faith in God, our full faith in God, can sometimes be a scary task. But if we've been around God long enough, we know that he's proved himself to be trustworthy over centuries. Are we ready to give control of our lives over to God? So Christian, maybe you've trusted in Jesus and you're saved, but you've not fully committed to trusting God with your life. I encourage you, I'm not forcing, no one in here is going to force you to do anything. God's not going to force you to do anything. But I'm encouraging you to, to do that today, to make that choice. Hey God, I'm ready to actually give my life over to you. I, I trusted you for salvation, for eternity, but I'm going to trust you with my life now. By the way, that is a daily commitment that you have to resign yourself to. Second challenge, are there others in this room who, like me, often find themselves needing to repent for a lack of response to God's greatness? Look, I've said it before. We've been in, many of us have been in church for years. We've been under biblical teaching for years. In fact, I know that there are multiple people in this room who have been in a Bible class in a college university setting. We've been under biblical teaching for, for years, many of us. And here's what's happened. We have settled for doctrine, for knowledge. We've settled for a Christianity that is educational at best. What a waste of God. What a waste of the Holy Spirit. What a waste of God's word. What a waste of God's love. What a waste of his power. What a waste. If you can with me, something that I do actively every day, I try to do actively every day. Let our prideful wastefulness be put to death starting today. Let us allow the power of God to speak through the truths of God so that the gospel that started in our hearts can reach through to heaven in praise to God and then come back to earth. Being the hands and feet of the gospel, reaching our fellow man, whether they be saved or unsaved, God, I've been given truth for so long and I've settled for that. But today, I know you want me to start serving you very practically in a very real way. That's between you and God. Last challenge, and we'll pray. This world is in desperate need of a wonder. Desperate need of a wonder. Greater than anything they could have ever imagined. How are we allowing the wonder of God and the gospel to shine through to each of us. Church, as I was saying throughout the message and a few seconds ago, all this truth that we're, we're being given through God, through his word, means nothing. If A, it does not impact our relationship with God, and B, if it does not impact our relationships to other people. It's not enough to sit in church on Sunday and walk away and go on with our week. It's not enough 
to listen to your podcast in the morning at the gym. It's not enough to fill in the blank, do that Christian activity, and then be somebody else during the week. No, we have to allow God and his word to actively impact us every single day. How are we allowing the wonder of God and his gospel to shine through each of us every single day? Let's pray.